You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, J-Town. This is our sermon series, Recalibrate. This series explores the intentional formation of disciples and how we as a church can help our congregation change and grow. So if you got a Bible, I encourage you to go to Galatians chapter 4, Galatians chapter 4. And so um, today we're starting a new series. It's just three weeks long. It's called uh, Recalibrate. I can't even speak this morning. Um, and, and the heart behind this series is just for us to take a step back and assess how we're doing and what's going on in the life of our church, as well as to give you some vision, some direction of where we're going, not only in the fall here, but over the next few years. And so every August we do a series similar to this, just to kind of... Um, give us a chance to, to assess how we're doing, what's going on, and give some direction. And I know sometimes these, these sermon series, for me on a personal level, uh, just kind of like putting my cards on the table, creates a little more anxiety than normal. Uh, I'm normally a little anxious and nervous when I get up here anyways, even though I've been doing this for almost 30 years, for crying out loud. You thought this would eventually get like old school, but it's not. Uh, but these are just a little bit more anxious for me because I feel like they're there's a little more expectation of what you think you're going to get in a sermon series like this. And so uh, the reality is this, is that some of you are going, yeah, that was really, really helpful. And some of you might be going, I think I kind of heard that before. So wherever you land, I hope it's helpful. Amen. And, uh, and I think what we have to say this morning uh, is what I feel like the Lord needs for us to hear uh, in the season in life that we are in as a church. All right. So we're going to be looking at several passages of scripture. But Galatians 4.19 kind of cuts to the heart of what we're trying to do this morning. So I'm going to stand together in honor of reading God's word. And I'm actually going to read this verse a couple of times, and then we'll um, dive in. So this is Paul uh, speaking and writing to the church in Galatia, and he says this, my children... I am again suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. And I'll read it again. My children, I am su- again suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. This is the word of the Lord, it is absolutely true and given to you in love. Let's pray together. Father, once again, we ask for your help as we work through this passage of Scripture, as we dive in to kind of assess and talk honestly about where we are as a church and where we see you leading us, Lord. We thank you, Father. I deepen our love for you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So if you look up the definition for recalibrate, you would see this probably in any kind of dictionary. It would say this, to recalibrate is to carefully reassess, to reset, or readjust something. And so the reality is, is that this is something that most of us are doing, whether you have kids or you don't have kids. It's, it's kind of weird how internally we kind of still have kind of sort of a school calendar rhythm that we have in our life, whether your kids are gone or you still have kids in your home, it just feels like that. And so usually August for all of us, because you're kind of coming out of summer, you're, you're coming out of a, a weird season of people gone here, if you're working somewhere, vacations, all that kind of stuff. And you're, it's almost like you're all setting reset. All right, let's, 
let's kind of push the reset button. We're getting back to some normalcy in life. I, I found myself this week because our boys started school uh, back in August. I, I looked at Kathy on Tuesday and said, hey, what time do they go to bed? Like, what's bedtime right now? Like, it's, it's, and summertime is ridiculous. Like, and especially as your kids get to teenagers, like, do you guys ever go to bed? Man, I'm like, I'm done. Like, I'm going to bed whenever you want to turn the lights off, turn off the lights. But when school starts back, I was like, I, I got to kind of push reset and figure out what time do we want them to go to bed? And should we want them to go earlier to bed, right? It's like, even that's a part of discussion. But uh, as you guys are stepping into a, a, a season where you're sort of uh, going back to normal rhythms, we are also kind of doing the same thing as a church. And we've been talking about this actually since March. And so we also are stepping back into kind of like, um, as best we know, a sense of normalcy, right? I was hoping that I would feel more of a sense of normalcy when I was doing some work on this message back in May, but here we are again, amen, like navigating this wonderful thing called COVID. And I'm saying that in a very sarcastic and exhausting way, all right? So... So we are uh, wanting to kind of step into this normalcy as best as we can confine normalcy. But we also want to um, help you see that there are some adjustments that we want to make as a church. Uh, some of the questions that we've been burdened with over the course of this year during a, a very disorienting and difficult year, uh, we have spent a lot of time just basically saying, are we making disciples? Uh, is the model that we've been doing church for the last 10 years intentional and in making disciples? That's the question that we've been wrestling with for the last 12 months. And even I can extend a couple years before that, honestly. And so these next three weeks, we want to do our best to try to help you see some of what we sense the Lord leading us to and some of the adjustments that we want to make in light of um, how we've been doing church over the last 10 years. And so this morning, I've got three movements, all right? That's all it is, just three movements. And, and maybe this morning will feel like too much information, but hopefully not. Hopefully it'll be helpful for you. Uh, the first movement is I want to answer a question, kind of how are we? How are we doing? So if you, if you want to put a, like an image, uh, even though the image breaks down a little bit, just imagine kind of going to a doctor's office and that first movement in the doctor's office, once you get past the waiting area, is you kind of get your vitals, right? You kind of like, you know, are you alive? Do you have a heartbeat? What's your blood pressure? You know, how tall are you? Have you gained a ton of weight since the last time you were here? You know, all these wonderful things that are really encouraging for you. And so that's what I want to do in the first question. Just kind of like, let's assess how we are, what's going on with us. And then the second question is, I just want to talk a little bit about like, what are we really about? And some of this will be a reminder for you. Some of this will be stuff that you need to hear again. And for some of us in this room, this will be new for you. Like, what are we about? Why, why do we exist as a church? And then the last question, and this will be the shorter one, is kind of what is our part? And what are we, what are we inviting you into? And, and a big part of the invitation will be unpacked more over the next couple weeks. All right? So the first question I want to unpack for us is kind of just, as best I can, trying to describe how are we as a church? How are we doing? And one of the words... Actually, two words that would be good for us to unpack here. The first one is this, is that it's been a really hard season. And I'm not saying that um, to set us aside as unique people and a unique church has had a hard season. This is the case for all of us in this room. 
Uh, kids that's going back into school, all the way to workers on the assembly line. This has been a very, very difficult year for all of us. And so I'm not trying to, to set us up as unique in any set, stretch of the imagination. I'm just trying to help you see it's been a really hard year for us as a church and for us as leadership, staff, and elders. And I'll give you a couple, all right? There's a couple things that are data to kind of help you see how difficult it's been. And, and this, I could probably have a longer list, but I feel like that might be a little depressing, right? It's like a little Debbie Downer, and I don't want to be total Eeyore up here for the whole 40 minutes that I talk, all right? But here's a couple of ways that it's been really, really hard for us. One is staff transitions. This last month and a half, as we've transitioned a couple of staff, it's been really, really hard, really difficult. Um, two years ago, we had a, a desire to kind of stop this revolving door within student ministry and the, the best that we can come up with, with the resources that we currently had was for us to seek a family pastor and see if there's a way we can kind of stop this revol revolving door of student ministry. And it just didn't work. It just didn't. And there's many layers to that, but it just did not work. And it's been really, really hard. And it's been really hard on you. If you've got a kid in elementary age or a kid in student ministry, I know it's been difficult for you. And it's been hard on us also. We thank God for uh, Elliot having an opportunity like he has near Seattle, Washington. But guys, that is a, it's a loss. It is a real loss. And it's, uh, it has been hard for us as we've processed even him uh, sending him out. Thankful for uh, his opportunity, but man, it has been difficult and really hard. And so in light of that, um, our staff has taken on more responsibilities. Our full-time staff right now is myself. And I feel like I'm still kind of echoing a little bit. Andrew, I don't know if you guys are hearing that. Maybe it's just me up here. Sorry about that. I feel a little ringing in my ears. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, but yeah, it's myself and Zach, our associate pastor, and Ashley, our connections director. So we've got three full-time staff right now. And Dana Gribbins is part-time is helping us out with Sojourn Kids and doing a phenomenal job back there. Uh, Jen, Jen Stollard is our office manager. And so that's what we got. And Tony Steinrod right now is filling in as an interim level to kind of help us out with worship. He's been ill over the last two weeks. That's where he's been. And so thank God for Andrew who showed up for the first Sunday, filled out a connect card and led worship on the same Sunday. It's like, man, you are a rock star for crying out loud. And thank God for Kyle who stepped in this morning and done a phenomenal job. But that has been hard. Staff transitions have been really, really difficult. A second data here is um, assessing how our people have been engaging by their presence. Short word for this is attendance, right? Pre-COVID and a Sunday morning gathering, we we're averaging close to 700 people, 500 adults, about 200 kids is what we were averaging pre-COVID. Over the last few months, when we've been able to kind of actually start taking attendance, when we felt like things are sort of normal, a good Sunday is about 400, probably more like 350. Pre-COVID groups, we had 18 groups with an average of about 300 adults that are involved in groups. Right now we have 12 with probably about 150 to 200 people that are involved in groups. Look, guys, attendance doesn't tell us everything about a church. I get that. It doesn't. But it is a metric, and it is data that we need to kind of pay attention to. We cannot ignore it. I heard one a pastor talk about this this week. Um, there's all kinds of um, people that do research. LifeWay is one of those that does research. There's other 
people that do, do polls all the time, and, and they're trying to gather all kinds of research right now to say, like, what, what's the state of churches across the board uh, as they're coming back, so to speak, post-COVID? That's very loose right now. And one statistic that I heard that I feel like really um, resonates with our church. You got about one-third of your church that's uh, really rooted and connected. Like, they are, they are more deeply rooted and connected here than uh, they ever have been. And we feel that. There's about a third of our church, both new people and people that have been here for a while. And we feel like, man, they are, they are with us. And we've heard that. We've you've voiced that. And we feel your presence here. A third of your church, they're not sure. The language I hear a lot is, I feel really disconnected. And I'm not sure if I want to stay or if this is home for me anymore, I'm just not sure. And then another third of your church is just gone. And that's exactly how we feel. That's exactly how I feel. It's about a third of us here, and I feel like, man, you guys are with us. You're on it. You're rooted here. There's a third of us that are probably struggling to know, man, is this the place for me? Is it not the place for me? I don't know if I have any more friendships, relationships, people that I had friendships with or not here anymore. I don't know what to do with that. And there's about a third of us that are completely gone. So just think about that. If you look at the statistics that we just read here, that's about two thirds of your church that we're not sure where they are. And that's really hard. Like I get in pastoral ministry because I care for people. And I don't take that two thirds lightly. I don't. When I hear that a third of our church is gone and another third is just like not sure, like that's really hard to hear. It really is. And we are doing work to try to help re-engage people. We have a, you guys don't know this, this is just staff talk, right? It's okay, you don't need to know this, but we have a thing called a re-engagement campaign. It's like we're trying to think through this two-thirds that are disconnected, not sure if they're here, and one-third that's completely gone, just trying to find out where people are and how we can help. And, and the reality is we may not get these people back, but we're going to try to do our part in pursuing as best we can. Not perfectly, but as best we can pursue after these two-thirds and figure out what's going on with them. But understand this. This is, this is difficult. This is, this is hard. It's a, it's a very, very difficult season. And on a personal level, and I don't really have this in my notes, I'm not even sure if I'll do this at 11 o'clock, and I'm not saying this for you guys to do anything extra other than just to pray. Just pray for us. Um, I had our staff a few months ago, after we got done reading through or preaching through Ecclesiastes chapter 3, to kind of identify what season they feel like they're in as far as our season of life. If you'll go to Ecclesiastes 3, it talks about a season for everything. Remember what I'm talking about, right? Just a few shaking of the heads. All right, so thank you. Um, but I just wanted them to identify what season are you in and then kind of give some qualifiers to what that is. In my season right now, I feel like I'm in a season of loss on multiple layers. One is my mom. I mean, she's still alive. She's in a nursing home right now. But whenever I visit her, it is like I see the loss of my mom, not only physically, but mentally. I mean, it's just difficult to even have a conversation with her. She has difficulty understanding what's present and what's memory. Uh, she has difficulty even gazing me in my eyes. Like that's, dude, it's really, really hard. That's a difficult loss right now that I'm trying to navigate and figure out 
how to process this as a 51-year-old man. You know, I've got four wonderful children. Uh, my oldest has now moved in uh, his own place in Memphis, Tennessee, and super thankful for that. We went and spent the weekend with him last weekend. Man, so proud of him. But guys, look, it's a loss. It is. Like, our home is no longer called his home, right? It's like, that's a loss. And I've got pastoral friends and relationships um, where I'm, I'm feeling a loss from them um, and struggling with that, really am. And thank God I've got men in my life that I talk about these things with. Often, I have an amazing wife who hears, understands, prays for me, and encourages me. But that's, like, the reality is, is that's part of the, the hard season, right, that we're going through as a church. And that hard season affects me and affects all of our staff and all of our elders. And at the same time, and I'm not doing spin here, all right? I'm not. And if you can go ask my staff, you can go ask my elder body. I don't like hyperbole, right? I don't like trying to make something more than what it really is. I, I, I hate things like, this is going to be the most amazing Sunday ever. It's like, if this is the most amazing Sunday ever, what's going to happen next Sunday, right? I, I can't live up to that. Like this, I just like to say, this is going to be a Sunday. Amen? We're going to be faithful. We're going to have a good time together. That's going to be wonderful, right? That, that's it. I, I, yeah, I'm not a big hyperbole kind of guy. But, and so please hear me. Yes, it's a hard season. But at the same time, I am really hopeful. This is a real hopeful season for the life of our church. And I'll give you some data so you think, I'm not trying to spin anything. I'm not. Here's a, a little bit of data of where I sense a hopefulness in me and our staff and our leaders and even amongst you. One is our giving. Yes, there's still room to go, grow. But in a year where we were expecting a huge drop, we actually went above budget. We went close to $5,000 over budget from your generosity and giving. So just think about that. If two-thirds of your church is either a third of it's gone and the other third is like, I'm not sure, and we still went above budget? Like, like that's pretty good. I'm, I don't know, maybe smile with that. Give me a, like a, a little head nod. Like that's really, really hopeful and I'm really encouraged by that. The other place is new people. I know most of you in this room do not experience this because you're not on the stage for two services. But believe me, we have had a, a boatload of new people that have walked through our doors since we reopened last June. We've created two new initiatives because of the boatload of new people. One of them is welcome lunches. You don't create a welcome lunch unless you've got people to welcome. Amen? Right? It's like, that's kind of dumb, right? The reason why... We have welcome lunches. It's because we have new people. We've had three of these over the course of this pandemic. Well over 75 people have been a part of those welcome lunches. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. We also created group link. Why do we create group link? Because we got a lot of people that are new within our church that are having trouble making that next step into group life and building relationships here. And so that's why we created group link in order to kind of make it a little easier to make baby steps. So look, guys, that's, that's really hopeful. Those are things that I'm really, really excited about with the new people here. Thirdly, we planted a church. 
Like, I'm not trying to make us feel like, man, we're awesome and amazing because we're not. In some areas, we really stink, to be honest with you, right? But here's the deal. Not many churches can stand up here and say, during a pandemic, we sent out Josh and Cheris Wilson, Andy and Sarah Myers, and four other families from our church to go to St. Louis, Missouri and start Storyline Church. That is a big deal, a really big deal. And we as a church are committing $30,000 a year to them for the next three years. Like, dude, that's, that's pretty awesome, right? That makes us really hopeful. Another thing that brings a lot of hope in me and stirs in it is we've been able to kind of create some partnerships with local schools over the last year that it's been almost like we cracked some kind of code all of a sudden. So with Tully Elementary School, we were able to bless their teachers with gift bags uh, last Christmas, and they were blown away by the way you guys were generous with those gift bags. Two weeks ago, we were able to serve lunch to J-Town High School teachers, and they were extremely thankful for the generosity for us to buy them lunch and serve them as they were getting back and doing a teacher in-service day. So I don't know what happened, but somehow we've been able to get into some partnerships with some local schools that we've been trying to do for years. And for some reason, over the course of this pandemic, it's like, here we go. Here's a softball for you. And so those are like, that's just four. I can give you more, but those are just four of ways that I do feel very hopeful for the coming year and what God has for us. So yes, I'm not trying to downplay. This is a hard season. People have left and people are in the middle of leaving. And we're doing our best to step in to find out what's going on with them. And I know that's a loss for you also if you've been here for five, 10 years. I get that. It's a hard season on multiple layers. And at the same time, I'm hopeful. Guys, I have been here almost since day one. And I have been in seasons in the life of our church where it's been more difficult than this. And I'm not exaggerating. I've been in a season where I felt really less hopeful. Seasons where I'm like, I really don't know if this is going to work. I really don't. I do not feel that way right now. I do not. This is a hard time for us as a church, but I am extremely hopeful for what God has for us in the coming years. Now, where do you get some of this also, Lyle? Well, some of it also is just the clarity that I think the Lord has been gracious to give us over these last 12 months of what does it actually look like for us as a church to intentionally lean in to what we are about. So that's the second question. And this is what I want to do here. I want to walk through several passages of scriptures that most of you probably have heard before, but I think it's good for us to be reminded of what we are about, why we are here. And the reminder is this, is that we are a recipient of a mission that God has given to his church. We don't create this. We don't make this up. We don't have to like go into a, 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 you know, a dark room and close our eyes and pray that God gives us something to do with the church. Like he's already done that. We are a recipient. And what we have the responsibility to do is to understand the context and the cultural moment that we are in so we can better know how to do this mission within this time frame that we've been given. But the mission of God has been given to us. We don't have to 
Go find it. It's right here in the Word of God. And I'm going to give you several passages of Scripture. Follow along with me. I'm going to be kind of quick through this. Matthew 28. The, 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 the magnum opus of what the church is to be about. I don't even know if I'm using that word right. may not be using it right at all. You can send me an email and tell me you really blew that one out. 18, verse 18. Jesus came near and said to his 11 disciples, that's who was around him at that time, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So that go, therefore, and do what? Say this out loud. What is it? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the very end of the age. We unpacked this passage of Scripture several weeks ago when we landed the plane in our two-year series on Matthew. And so I don't need to spend a ton of time in here, but I just want you to see that the primary responsibility of the church, based on what Jesus has said here, is that we are to make disciples. That is what we are to be about. We are not to assume that discipleship will just happen. No, our responsibility as a church is that we would be intentional in making sure that we as a church are making disciples, not just converts, not just Christians, not just casual Christians, not just cultural Christians, but disciples of Jesus Christ. Goes on, Acts chapter one, verse eight, kind of continuing to kind of understand more fully of what the church is about. Verse eight says this, but you, the same group of people here, disciples, these 11 that, that Jesus called out, will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Notice that it doesn't say you will do my witnessing. Not that there's anything wrong with that. And we need to be witnessing, right? But notice that it does not say you will do my witnessing, but you will be my witnesses. Witnesses are those who cause other people to know, not through manipulation or winning some kind of argument, but by first being. It's about who you are, the very core of your identity. Yes, there is a verbal proclamation, but first you are giving witness to being a different kind of person. Not perfect, but you are giving a glimpse to other people that you come in contact with how Jesus is recreating this brand new humanity that will live in the new heavens and the new earth. That's the B part. That's the, the being part there that he's talking about. You will be my witnesses. And this is what we see all throughout the book of Acts. The disciples get the Holy Spirit upon them and they turn into brand new people. Amen? If you don't know that, read a gospel. They struggled, right? Just like all of us, right? They were morons, just like all of us. Amen? They were. But man, the Spirit of God came on them and they were absolutely different. Look at Peter. Peter turns in from a, from a coward to someone with courageous and courage to stand up and preach a gospel. And thousands of people came to faith in Jesus Christ. You skip all the way to Acts chapter 7 and you learn about this guy named Stephen, the first martyr of the church. And here's what happens when Stephen is being stoned to death for being a witness of Jesus Christ. Here's what he says. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed. Read that. While 
They were stoning him. I think people know what stoning is, right? It's not smoking a joint, right? That's not what's going on here. He's getting pelted by rocks. Do not hold this sin against them. Look, it's, it's not like Stephen in the midst of getting stoned, stoning, rock stone at him, right? Pulls out a little sheet of paper. All right, what am I supposed to do as a Christian right now? Let me look at my list. Oh, I'm supposed to pray for them because Jesus did that on the cross. Check, I'm doing that. No, this was an instinctive response. This came from the core of Stephen's being, right inside of him. This is his instinctive response to people's anger and animosity toward him, so much so that they stoned him. He said, God, I want to pray for these people. How impactful would this kind of person be in our angry, cynical, skeptical, confused culture that we live in? Our Southern Baptist Convention, which we are part of the Southern Baptist Convention, and I thank God for them, and I thank God for how they gave me a, um, a heart for the nations, like a, a, a desire and a leaning to, to be a part of the fulfilling of the Great Commission that's given to us in Matthew 28, and that's been instilled in my blood and my DNA and even right now, they have a campaign right now that's called Who's Your One, which is, I think it's a fantastic campaign to think about, like, who's God put in your, in your, in your path to, to pray for, to look for opportunities to share the gospel with, to invite them to church, all that. I mean, I think it's beautiful, and I would encourage us to do that. Here's the only thing, guys. Not, like, just bear with me, and maybe there needs to be a pushback on this from me. I don't know, because this is a monologue, not a dialogue, isn't it? So... Here's the thing I would just want to say to that, who's your one? I would want to add also that I think sometimes is overlooked. Who are you becoming? Maybe before we think about who's our one, let's first stop and think about who am I becoming? Because I'm telling you, individuals like Stephen, who's Reactive response is to pray. That's powerful. Acts 11, verse 26 says this. Skip on here. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Disciples were first called Christians in Antioch or at Antioch. Why is this? Well, before this, that time, they were called people of the way, right? That's what they're their terminology was. And, and as they, they got out uh, and spread out here, um, and honestly, this is just me speaking. I think people of the way sounds really weird anyway, so thank God they did change their name. But here's the point that I'm trying to make here is that the, the, the name of Christian being called this was not from those who were Christ followers. It wasn't like they got in a room and, and said, hey, you know what? The people of the way sounds weird. Sounds like a cult. It may not go well 2,000 years later, right? Let's figure out a new name. Everybody put a name on a little sheet of paper. We'll put it in a hat and they drew out one. Christian sounds awesome. No, it's those who were outside of the church, outside of those who were followers of Christ, looked at this people and says they are Christ ones. 
looked at this people and says, man, they, they look like Jesus. They act like Jesus. Their reactive response feels a lot like Jesus, and they smell like Jesus. And that's what? We're going to call them Christians. That's where it came from. See, what, what, what Jesus is, has been after since day one is to create a different kind of people. Not perfect people, but a different kind of people. It goes on. This is the desire that is expressed in Paul as you kind of read through the New Testament letters. We read one of them in Galatians 4, verse 19. My children, I am suffering labor pains for you. Why? What, what, what's he suffering about? Until who? Christ is formed in you. You go to Ephesians chapter 3, which is a beautiful prayer. But what prayers do is they reveal what your desires are, what your longings are. And there, I have preached this passage of scripture, and there is so much in here that I still don't fully understand. But all I can say is like, I want more of it. That's what I'll say. I want more of what Paul is praying here, and I want more of that for us. Look what he says here, starting in verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And everyone said, yes. So look, what I'm trying to say here, even there's so much in this passage of scripture, prayer reveals desires. They reveal wants. They reveal longings. And here is Paul's desire and want for Ephesus. Verse 16, he wants them to be strengthened with power in their inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that the very core of their being would be shaped by the words of Jesus and the ever-present presence of Jesus. That's what he's after in verses 16 through 17. He goes on in verse 17, he continues, I want this for the Christians in Ephesus, that they would be rooted and firmly established in love, that they may be able to, to comprehend with all of the saints what is the length, the width, height, depth of God's love, to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. So why so much talk about love here, Paul? Because we are shaped we are formed by what we love and by whom we are loved. You following me? All of us are shaped by and formed by what we love, right? You do what you love, amen? You don't do what you know is right. Can I get an amen, right? Maybe sometimes you do, hopefully you do, right? But ultimately, at the end of the day, you do what you love, and we are shaped and formed by what we love and by whom we are loved. That's why he's talking about love so much. One more. Colossians 1, 28-29. We proclaim him 
He's talking about Jesus here, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone, everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. So all of these passages, all of these, have to inform what we are going to be about and why we exist. These are not passages that we have to kind of like parse out and figure out what we're supposed to know. It's very clear what we're to be about. And I said this several weeks ago uh, in, in kind of a goofy, fun way, but look, we're not going to be about the three Bs. Amen? The three Bs are butts in a seat. I mean, we want your butt in a seat. Like, we want you here. Like, we, we feel like this is a really important time in the life of you as a follower of Jesus Christ. But that's not what I'm about. That's not what we're about. We're not just about budget. Yes, we need to meet budget. Yes, we've got to give so we can keep lights on. I mean, we do more than that with our giving. You know, I'm being kind of stupid and silly. But at the end of the day, it's not all we're about. Not. We're not about buzz. That's the other B. Buzz is just like energy. What's going on around here? Oh, how exciting. Like, yes, I want momentum. I want excitement. Man, we got popcorn for crying out loud today. Like, that's, that's excitement. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, yeah, there, there's, there's a place for that. But look, I'm not about that. That's exhausting to me. I want us to be about making disciples. Our mission is not changing. We exist to reach people with the gospel, to build them up as the church. Or another way you can say that is disciple them in relationship with Jesus and send them into the world to be his witnesses. Our mission is not going to change, but our mission will help us move forward in our vision. And when I think about vision, guys, this is what I'm just talking about. Like, What what, what does God want us to lean into over the next three to five years? And please hear me, this vision statement is, is, is an incubator phase, right? Which means it may have some adjustments, may kind of do a little tweaking here and there. Don't write this down and get a tattoo on it, all right? Like, it might change, and I hate for you to go back and do like a little like, ah, we had to write that word out. But here's what we're after. If we had to say like, what's the picture of the future? What are we wanting to do? How is our mission helping kind of move us forward to accomplish our vision? Our vision is this, that we want to be a part a part of filling this community. And a, that little phrase at the beginning is so important. So important. We're one of uh, hundreds of churches in the city of Louisville, people. We're not the only church. And we're not the church that's got it right. <laughs> we don't. We're one church amongst hundreds of churches in the city of Louisville that are trying to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're just one. And what we're trying to do is not trying to be unique and different and cool and wow, they got it together. No, we're just trying to be faithful. That's all we're trying to do. I want to run my race well. When I look at the Bible and look at the Old Testament characters, most of them don't finish their life well. Dadgummit, I don't want to be that guy. I really don't. And I, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. I get up in the mornings thinking about that. I don't want to ruin my life. So we are a part of hundreds of churches 
in the city going after the same thing. They may say it differently. They probably say it a lot more creatively, but hey, we're a part of it. We're a part of filling this community with disciples. That's what we want. We want disciples, followers of Jesus Christ who are not doing. You're going to do, but your doing starts with who you are, who are a faithful. What do I want for you as husband, wife, man, woman? Be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful as a husband, be faithful as a wife, be faithful as a dad, be faithful as a mom, be faithful as a student, be faithful as a, a barista worker, be faithful as a, a, a semi-line worker in Ford, be faithful as a CEO, CFO, CPPO, whatever the heck you are, right? Be faithful, right? Loving, loving. The goal of discipleship is love, period. And if you are not more loving, then maybe your discipleship is not working. I'll say that again. And I'm talking to Christians here. If you're not a Christian, you can just take a nap for like two seconds, right? If you're not more loving, then your discipleship is not working. It was a faithful, loving presence. As Dallas Willard talks about quite often in many of his books, and Dallas Willard is a, a man who has passed away, but a philosopher who taught um, philosophy at USC and did a ton of work in the area of discipleship and have benefited greatly from some of his books that I've read over the last few years. But he said this, there continually needs to be a shift in our thinking as a church, and that shift is this, is that we would intend to make disciples and let converts happen instead of intending to make converts and letting discipleship happen. Do you hear the subtle shift? Shift is we would intend, be intentional in making disciples and let converts happen rather than intending to make converts and letting disciples happen. Look, I'm not speaking for the church at large. I'm just speaking for our church right now. I've been here for 10 years and I would say that we have unintentionally had this kind of mindset. By the grace of God, over the last 10 years, we have baptized well over 100 people. Well over 100 people. And it's been awesome. Man, back in the days when we used to be in the little fountain, oh my gosh, I want to bring those back, but I keep getting vetoed. Amen? Let me just tell them one vote, right? And those baptisms were wonderful celebrations, but here's the question that I thought about quite often. How are we intentionally helping those individuals grow and mature as a disciple? I think if we're honest, all we said was get in a group. And I think unintentionally we've functioned like baptism is the end instead of the beginning. One of the things that we've learned over the last 10 years, or I'll just put I in there, I think our staff and elders would agree with this, preaching is not enough. It's not. Groups are not enough. Or another way of saying this, our model of gathered and scattered 
gather together on Sundays, scatter into homes throughout the week. has not been enough to form the kind of people that Jesus is wanting to form, and that is a faithful, loving presence. It does not mean that what we've done over the last 10 years has been null and void. We have really stunk it up. No, it doesn't. There's been a lot of good work that's happened in the last 10 years. A lot of good work. My life has been drastically changed over the last 10 years because of my Sunday gathering and my, my weekly scattering. Drastically changed. But what I'm putting before you is that we may have unintentionally basically made some assumptions that if you come to church on Sunday and you get in group, then you're being discipled. And I don't know if that model can continue to serve us in the next few years. We've got to make some changes. As one writer says, his name is J.T. English. He wrote a book called Deep Discipleship, which has been extremely helpful for us over this last year. He says this, our discipleship model, and he's kind of critiquing his church and vicariously our church because he was actually a part of our church for several years. And this critique is valid. So I appreciate it. I've actually had a conversation with him and thanked him for this. Our discipleship model has been conversion and community. And we have removed the concept of learning and growing from the equation. And therefore, we have largely removed spaces where learning can happen. Conversion is not the touchdown of the Christian life. It's the kickoff. Adoption into the family is not the end of life. It's the the beginning. And so the point that I'm trying to make here, it's, it's about value. It's not that learning is not ever happening on Sundays or in groups, but the highest value in community groups, as you have heard us say before, is not learning because we have said this, community groups is not about a Bible study. So the value in community groups was not learning. The value in community groups is relationships. And that's important. Yes, yes. But so is learning. He goes on and says this, a culture of discipleship is birthed in a local church that has spaces where learning is the highest stated value and spaces where community or relationships is the highest stated value. So look, hear me. I'm not trying to busy up your schedule or add one more thing to an already full plate, but we are working to be more intentional here as a church as we are making adjustments in our model that can kind of build a culture of discipleship as he's described here, where we have spaces where the highest value is relationships. We want you connected in relationship with one another, as well as spaces where the highest value is learning because you need to learn as a disciple. We need to stop assuming that people are going to learn what it means to obey Jesus. And I think we've done that. We've assumed that they're going to get it. So next week, I want to talk about community groups, or actually Zach's going to talk about community groups. And in two weeks, I want to talk a little bit about learning spaces and what we're trying to do as a church and kind of making some adjustments to our model. Quickly, I'm ending with this. This is what I'm asking you to do. Number one, come back next week. Come back, all right? Statistics say that the average church attender comes twice a month. Let's break the statistics. Amen? Let's just come every Sunday, right? Like, wow, that would be awesome. 
Two, will you genuinely pray with us and for us? At some level, all of us are weary. All of us are, including me. So you pray with us and for us. And then lastly, will you join us? Will you be part of the individuals that fill this community with Christ followers who are a faithful, loving presence? Let's pray. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash J-Town.